Howdy do, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. How you doing? I'm just doing swell. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Um, it's like middle of the summer, kind of like just over the halfway point of summertime-ish. I'm ready for it to be over. Sick of this. Yeah, I, I'm kind of sick of melting, <sighs> you know. It got to 102 this week. Too hot. Way too hot. Way too hot. Yeah, ready for Halloween. That's for sure. Yeah. We definitely went looking for Halloween decorations this last weekend. Oh, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I could use a little bit of that right now. There are some states who are lucky enough to have Spirit Halloweens open in July, but not Utah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how much I have? I have been going around parading to everyone that we need a year-round Spirit Halloween. I think it's getting to that point where it better be where that's going to happen. So it's happening. I guarantee it. We need all of the Bed Bath and Beyonds to evacuate immediately. Oh, that's happening too. <laughs> so that Spirit <laughs> Halloween can take over. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's see. I have the historical story today. You sure do, and I've got the Reddit stories. Okay. Awesome. Um, just a reminder before we get started, any images associated with our stories, we will post those on our Instagram. You can check them out there. And also, if you would like to submit a story to us to be read on the podcast, we are more than happy to do that. They can be true. They can be completely made up. doesn't matter. You can email those stories. Excuse me. We can, you can email those stories to us at our email, SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com, or DM them to us on our uh, Instagram. Do it. Okay. Um, the floor is yours. Take it away. Spook us. Spook us already. <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Alrighty. So posted by you slash wild eye phoenix and r slash ask reddit. They asked this question. Redditors who work at cemeteries and graveyards, what strange and scary stuff have you witnessed? Serious. Now, here are some of my favorite replies. Oliver says, I work at a graveyard, and I just have one thing to say. Plastic. Here in Norway, graves are protected by law for 20 years, but after that, the spots can be reused. Usually, a grave is fine to reopen after 20 years. The body's supposed to be decomposed and pretty much gone. Now, back to plastic. Between the 50s and 80s, it was common here to be buried in plastic, to minimize smell and leakage. I'm sure they thought it was a good idea back then, but once we started reusing graves in Norway, we realized it was a curse. A lot of bodies are wrapped in plastic, and I've myself been part of what was supposed to be a burial at a reused site. The body was about 50 or 60 years old, and should be basically gone, but nope, it was not. The plastic wrap it was covered in kept the body from decomposing, and it's basically just been marinating in its own juices for 50 and 60 years. The smell was awful, and the sight was even worse. You said juices, and I'm gagging. Moist. (laughs) so gross. (laughs) I'm sure this is not the kind of story you wanted, but it's honestly the best horrific and bizarre thing that I've ever been a part of. And uh, that just reminded me, I follow crime scene cleaners on YouTube just because I find everything they do really fascinating. They have this one video called Pop Goes the Body. Oh my gosh. 
And that just reminded me of that because um, when the coroner found, like, pulled the body away, they had to pop it because it was so decomposed that if they tried to drag it, it would have popped and made a bigger mess. So they had to pop it in the bathroom on the tile and then take the body away, which is why they called in crime scene cleaners. Oh, my gosh. To clean up the juice. (laughs) That reminds me of the... That whale video, the whale um, washed up on a beach and they poked its belly and it just went and exploded everywhere. (laughs) Don't they say you shouldn't do that because it can kill you? Like the buildup of the gases inside can kill you? Yeah, I I think it it shot the guy back. Yeah. It was enough pressure that it just exploded. Talk about Oppenheimer. Jeez. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. And Kitten McMuffin says... Former funeral director here. One of our workers cleaned up after everyone had left from a visitation slash viewing slash wake. It was about 9 p.m. or later, and he saw one last guest walking around in the visitation room. He went to help escort the gentleman out when he discovered no one was in there. When he came back in and told us the story and described the visitor, he identified the man in the photo we had in the funeral home. It was none other than my grandfather, who owned the family business but had recently passed away, probably looking over one last funeral. Creepy, but kind of fun, kind of cool. Kind of cool. I'm down for that. Want to see Grandpa again? Okay, have you seen a Disney Channel movie called Scream Team? No, I don't think I have. I love it. I grew up watching it on Disney Channel. Anyways, I watch it every year. I do that with all the Disney Channel original Halloween movies. Halloween Town 1 through 3, not 4. Give me a break. Yeah, come on. Anyways, that's the end of Scream Team, is their grandpa who died early in, in the movie. His ghost appears one last time, and um, the two main kids, their dad, who is the son of the grandpa, um, the dad and the grandpa did not have a good relationship. And so that's how the movie ends, is him talking with his dad one last time, and then talking about the good old days. Oh, that's so cool. Anyways, I need to that watch reminded that. me of that. So anyways, good good movie, good story. Keep going. I could also use a Disney Halloween-a-thon, you know? You got to do it. Everyone, just do it. What's that one about the vampire? It's not My Babysitter's a Vampire. That's way my after little our vampire? time. Or little, wait. Is it The Little Vampire? The, li- the Little Vampire. That one was good. Yeah. I in, loved in that. In Scotland? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That one, unfortunately, is not on Disney uh, Plus. But the the Disney Channel originals are on there. So like don't look under the bed. That one was that was filmed in Ogden. That's awesome. That one's there. That's a good one. That one is way too freaky. That should have never been <laughs> in like a, a kid's movie. That scared the crap out of me as a kid. Uh but I look back now, obviously, and it doesn't scare me at all, but I I still love it. Love it. Yeah. You know, people ask you, like, why are you the way that you are? Just reference that movie <laughs> and be like, This is how I was raised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The boogeyman in Ogden in Ogden, Utah. All righty. And White Claw Law says, My dad purchased a cemetery when I was in middle school, and I worked for him through high school graduation. I did yard work, mowing, weed eating, flower beds, etc. Aside from the occasional shadow seen out of the corner of my eye, seeing people who turned out to not be there, and hearing strange sounds, the cemetery was actually a really peaceful place. But the strangest is when you have a burial in the crypts. Basically, you dig down about four or five feet to expose giant cement doors. You pull the cement doors off and drop down into a little room. 
These rooms can fit two coffins or years and years and years worth of cremated remains. So back in the 50s and 60s, families would buy one crypt and the entire family would be cremated and put in it. Some just put the cremated remains in it and closed her up, but others light candles and leaf flowers and souvenirs and pictures. It's creepy opening up one of those bad boys after 50 years, finding melted candles and old pictures of the people inside. Plus, when you hop down in there, you have a weird realization that you are at the same level of a completely surrounded area of bodies. Loki, I want to do that. Sleepover challenge. <laughs> uh, I, I, hopefully you remember this because this was only a couple weeks ago. But near um, my cabin is that cemetery. And that's the same thing with that. There's one. Um, it looked like at one point, like a, there were stairs that go down this crypt. It's the only crypt in the graveyard too. But they covered it with cement. And I think because people were going, breaking in too much. That's so wild. <laughs> so I think my theory on it is true, though, that like a corpse in the crypt would get up and like taunt the town at midnight. And so they had to put bars over it, keep him inside. Yeah, I believe it. Brutal Bob 1384 says, I worked for a county cemetery department years ago. We would go to all the cemeteries in the county and mow or just do basic upkeep. Occasionally, people, mainly farmers, would stumble upon some headstones in a field or a stand of trees, and we would come out and prod the ground with dowel rods to find more headstones and reestablish the cemetery. Soon after I started working there, we got a tip about some headstones a farmer found while clearing out a path through some trees for easier access to his field. It turned out to be the oldest cemetery in the county dating back to the 1700s. After investigating some of the names on the headstones, it got really creepy. The story is that before the cemetery was there, a schoolhouse stood on the ground. The teachers were a husband and wife. It's not clear on what exactly happened, but the students and the husband and wife all died in the schoolhouse. The information we found kind of made it sound like an illness of some kind, and they were all quarantined in the school until each of them died. After that, the school was demolished, and the students and husband and wife were all buried together right where the school stood. So yeah, it's haunted. Okay, wow. Weird. The disrespect. Disrespectful. Pof No says, When I was in college, I worked part-time at a Jewish cemetery in reception and office management. The cemetery was closed from Friday afternoon through Saturday evening for Sabbath. We sometimes stayed a bit later in the office on Friday afternoons to get bills out or checks processed. We heard a loud commotion by the, by the cemetery entrance, which was locked and only staff could get in and out. The office manager went to see what was going on and made me come with her. We went down to the gate to find an older woman, probably in her 70s, dressed to the nines, begging us to let her in. She kept saying that she needed to get back. This was the suburbs of New Jersey, so you needed a car to get around, but we didn't see a car or anything. She was just there in this beautiful dress. We couldn't open the gates without the cemetery manager, so we just went to go get him. We brought him back to the gate, and no one was there. We looked at the video footage of the entrance, and you could see us, the office manager and me, talking, but there was no one on the other side of the gate. The cemetery manager thought we were trying to trick him. I swear to this day, we saw a woman in a fancy dress outside the gate. The 
There were multiple cameras and not a single one picked up anyone on the other side and you could see the entire gate in the frame. All you could see was us. I don't know if it was a ghost or what. The office manager and I decided not to tell anyone, but we would mention it to each other every once in a while. Creepy. I love it. Classic ghost story. Classic. Classic ghost story for sure. Now, my favorite response was by Grandfather Slam X, and he says, As a kid in 1982, and Michael Jackson's thriller was on everyone's minds, one night it was getting late when we got caught in a big rainstorm, so we called it quits on our basketball game and went our separate ways. The big cemetery I cut through must have closed up for the night, and I found myself locked in the gates. Going around would take forever, so I decided to just climb over the fence only to land hard on the other side. It was so muddy, so I was not only drenched and hurt my ankle pretty bad, but I looked like a giant mud bath. I was covered in mud, limping and groaning from pain when I reached the other side of the gate. As I emerged from the darkness, a couple saw me limping and groaning while trying to squeeze through the cemetery's wrought iron fence. I remember their screams to this day. It's so great. That reminds me of a Goosebumps episode. Oh, yeah. I can totally see that. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for those responses. Those were fantastic. Now we're going to move on to something a little bit more spooky. Posted on r slash paranormal by Crazy Turtle Mama. (laughs) A desert is a scary place for me now. It used to be a place filled with peace and serenity, but since living out there for almost 30 years, you see things. This occurrence took place in the high desert of California in the early 1990s. The whole town was once all military. There is a military plant there and a prison, and the streets to this day consist of numbers and letters, for example, Avenue O and 178th Street. You always heard stories of people missing in underground tunnels, which is confirmed. In fact, a friend of mine kept getting a draft coming from his closet in his childhood home. Later, after he grew up, he checked it out and found an opening to one of these such tunnels. He called me over to check it out, but after I got there, we went through the opening. I was too freaked out to go more than 10 feet when I turned around and told him that this might be how people disappear. You always saw things late at night off in the distance, far past the lights of that then small town like strange glowing different colored lights that would move around low or zigzag then shoot straight up. We saw things in the sky, just stuff you never talked about. Life was pretty carefree back then. If you wanted to visit friends, though, you would have to drive down long desert roads and sometimes end up coming home late at night in the pitch black because there was no street lights. I remember coming home late one night with my boyfriend at the time and another friend, and we pulled over for some reason. Something compelled me to get out of the car and look up to the stars. We were in the middle of nowhere, but we could hear what sounded like machinery and muffled clanks like metal. We all started looking around, but didn't see anything. Just then, we felt a vibration under our feet. I crouched down on the street and put my ear to the ground. It was coming from under us. We all listened intently and heard far-down voices, but couldn't make out what was being said. We stood up and were discussing what it might have been when we saw a small red light on the horizon. It was getting closer. We piled into the car and got out of there. We only told a few friends and they experienced the same thing. A year later, I told a friend that I started a small hauling business. 
Still, there was a big job, so I needed to borrow a trailer. He said he had a few that I could use, so I should come out to his property to check them out. It was just starting to get dark when he pulled out his new toy. It was military-grade night vision binoculars. He told me to wait until it got dark to leave because he wanted to show me something creepy, and of course, I was all in. Later, we walked towards the back of his property, looking out at nothing. No lights, no roads, nothing but barren desert. He pointed the binoculars east, and oh my, there were people out there coming out of the ground and moving around. I screamed, what am I looking at? And he told me that his family called them ground dwellers and that they were located in various parts of the desert. It gave me the heebie-jeebies, needless to say, and I never went back to his house again after dark. At one point in my life, I lived in a mobile home park a little past Avenue F. There was a massive treehouse in my yard that was left by the former tenant, and the only way to get up into it was through a hole cut in the floor with a door on it, and under that was a rope ladder. One night, I was sitting on the porch drinking a cup of tea when I heard something moving up there in the treehouse. I saw a lady and her husband hiding up there. Clearly, I thought they were on drugs. I told them to come down, but they both refused. It wasn't until I threatened to call the authorities did they cautiously comply looking all around, not wanting to be seen. By now, there was a small group of friends and nosy neighbors gathering around. I saw that she was terrified by something, so I asked them to come inside. I made them something to eat and waited for her to calm down. Then the lady reached in her bag and pulled out some papers, and they looked like legal documents with government letterhead. There were drawings and schematics, and some of them even had embossed seals. I couldn't help but notice that they had water and smoke damage, and a few of them were burnt on the edges. She told me that they were checking out this place off Barrel Springs Road, where there were two or three cinder block structures. I knew them well. A few years back, I had happened upon the place, and, I, and a black truck rushed down to greet me with guns drawn. She said the same thing happened to her, but she was in one of the structures, so she grabbed some things, and she and her husband ran away. I went over these pages and felt very uneasy reading them, like this was stuff people get, kid get killed over if it gets out. Stupidly, I said, why don't you just give them back? She said they had been running, and everywhere they stopped, a black car or van with government or no plates show up with darkened windows and just sit there to watch them. Well, I really didn't want to get too involved, especially after reading what I did. I thought it would be too big for little me. I will take what I saw to my death, so I packed them lunch and told them they could sleep in the treehouse for the night. They did, but they were gone early the next morning before I woke up. After that, we started seeing black vans parked on our lonely road facing the house. At one point, I even walked up to them, but they took off as soon as I knocked on their driver's window. Lots of unexplained things happened out there in the desert, and you won't see much of it now. I think because there are more lights and people, well-lit towns and camera phones pointing everywhere. There weren't cell phones to call for help back then. I remember one time a few years later, it was a fun day with some of my friends. We were in the stupid little red car called a Yugo that seemed to be on its last leg. My friend's uncle told him that there was a bunch of abandoned towns far west of the Mojave Desert and there were things just left out there all over the place. We were so dumb. It took us a long time to get out there and if you asked me to try and find it now, I don't know if I could. I wasn't the one driving. Thinking we were lost a few times, we started seeing things. A carnival ticket booth on a trailer, broken tractors and furniture, 
little shacks here and there, and empty water bottles everywhere. There wasn't a livable house or a store or place of business for many, many, many miles. I wondered how anyone could even survive in a place like this. And then we saw it. It was a long mobile home. It was between 50 and 60 feet long, and it was raised with a siding going all the way to the ground. It looked like something from a horror movie. It had several windows down the length of the house. Some of the windows had old frayed curtains still hung up and blowing in the desert breeze. There were open sections of missing siding, exposing the darkness underneath the structure big enough to step through or crawl in. There were dusty old cars with the doors and trunks open, trash and open cans all over the place, and a small fire pit in the middle of all of this. His girlfriend and I saw people that seemed to not be wearing any clothes, that we could make out at least, but their bodies were skinny and they didn't move like ours. They were inside the house and were watching us from the windows and from the open spaces underneath. They were following us as we slowly drove past. They went from window to window and open space to open space. They were almost inhuman and had big eyes and pale skin, too pale for the desert. My friend was a driver and pulled up next to the fire pit, and despite us screaming to go, 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 he turned off the car, and his girlfriend, his girlfriend began to cry out that we have to leave now. He didn't see what we saw. He said, stop, babe, this stuff is cool. I've never wanted to punch him more in my life. <laughs> we both kept looking at the people watching us while begging him to get back in the car and drive. He picked up a long bone off the ground and just started to push the soot of the fire pit and said, hey, it looks like somebody cooked a dog. Just then he looked up. His girlfriend leaped over to the driver's seat and grabbed his jacket in an attempt to pull him back in the car when, we finally, when he finally saw what we were seeing, and he said, Oh, shit! <laughs> that thing hiding under the house was swaying back and forth. His hands were on both sides of the opening, and he was staring at us, almost with the intent to lunge. He tried to start the car, but it failed. Thinking that this is the end, and I was going to be eaten in the desert, I began to beat on the back seat, screaming, Please start! Please start! After three tries, it started. We tore out of there, leaving a cloud of dust. We pulled over far from that location and tried to compose ourselves. Never again, never again. We didn't talk about what we saw after that. I think we were in disbelief that it even happened. There were so many crazy things that occurred in the desert back in those days. Too many to even come close to tell you. I know that there are things we do not or maybe will never understand. I also know that there are more eyes now paying attention, so I don't think it'll be too much longer before we all know the truth. Just a tidbit of information. Rosamond was, way back in the day, a toxic dump site. That's why the houses were so cheap. But if you ask anyone now, they don't have a clue. There's just so much going on in that story. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Ugh. I love stories about the desert. I love Native American folklore. I find it so fascinating. You do? Yeah, I often tell the same stories. <laughs> and totally fine, because they freak me out. <laughs> same. Okay, you ready for my story? I'm so ready. Okay. So this is one of the most famous cases in our nation's history, and yet I heard about it for the first time just a couple years ago. On September 30th, 1978, a couple were driving down a somewhat deserted road in the middle of nowhere in Del Puerto Canyon, California. They were enjoying the calm, crisp evening and enjoying each other's company when out of nowhere, 
something shocking and disturbing happened. Out from the side of the road stumbled out a 14-year-old girl waving her arms in the air, signaling the couple to stop their car. That doesn't sound too disturbing, right? Well, when the couple slowed down, they were able to get a better look at this stranger in the middle of the road. They quickly realized this wasn't some hitchhiker looking for a ride. The girl's arms she was waving were missing. Her forearms had been cut off. What? <laughs> they were able to drive to the nearest payphone, call for help, and this young, armless girl was airlifted to the nearest hospital. You have to understand that she was on the brink of death. She had lost more than half the amount of blood that was in her system, so the doctors and nurses all thought she was done for. Doctors even had to remove a section of her leg to save one of her arms. Miraculously, she, she survived. She lived. When she was able to rest and get her mind together, that was when she was able to tell doctors the story of what happened to her. Her name is Mary Vincent. The day before Mary was found by the couple, she had planned to visit her grandfather in Berkeley, California. She decides that hitchhiking would be the way to go. For those of you who don't know, hitchhiking back then was actually very common. Um, we know that Ted Bundy picked up a lot of his victims that way. Um, but you could say people were more trusting back then. Nowadays, I myself am very hesitant, hesitant to pick up a hitchhiker, but you never know who will be the one to be hitchhiking or the person picking them up. It's the axe-wielding hitchhiker story all over again. Um, yeah, yeah. As Mary is waiting on the side of the road with her thumb out, a blue van pulls up with, the, with only the driver inside. The driver, an older man, greets her and the two others also hitchhiking. So there were three. There were Mary and two other people. The old man says that he, ha he only has room for one in the van, which was true. The van was empty in the back. It was just the passenger seat that was open and him driving. The old man takes a look at the three hitchhikers, smiles at Mary and says, I'll take you. Mary, exhausted and ready to get home to her grandfather, hops in the van without really thinking about the situation. The other two hitchhikers beg her not to go with the man, but Mary later claimed in an interview that he seemed like a grandfather just kind of had that vibe of like, oh, just, you know, grandpa. Um, was, the, was the thought of her traveling to her grandfather's home an indicator for her to trust the stranger and get in? I, I think so. I think there was, you know, she, I mean, she did say he felt like a grandpa, seemed like a grandpa, so. Yeah, easily could have been. Mm -hmm. Of course, just like a horror movie, Mary falls asleep in the van. When she finally wakes up, she starts to notice the road signs. They were going in the completely wrong direction. Confused, she demands to know what's going on. Why, is, why are we going the wrong way? All the old man says to her is, I'm just an honest man who made an honest mistake. He turns the car around to head in the right direction. She thinks to herself, what a weird thing to say. Instead of, oh, my bad. Yeah, why would you Sorry. say that? She brushed the comment off, and they kept driving. After a little while, he claims that he needed to go to the bathroom. The old man pulls the van over and hops out to do his business. Mary, still weirded out by the comment he said earlier, is looking around at her surroundings and notices they are completely alone. No buildings, no streetlights, no other cars, etc. 
She looked down and noticed her shoes were untied, and that is when her stomach sank. She realized she was in a really bad situation. At this point, she's, she's thinking that she needs to get the hell out of there. So if she ties her shoes, she can outrun this old man. Mary opens the passenger door to give her more room to tie her shoes, and bam! Mary is hit in the head with a sledgehammer. She blacks out. When Mary finally came to, she had been abused all night long, and it didn't stop there. The old man kept attacking and raping her into the next morning. The old man said to her, you're going to be my good little girl, as if Mary was one of his own kids. Nope. Hate that. He eventually stopped his attacks and fell asleep next to Mary in the back of the van. Due to her injuries, she was unable to get away. To better explain what happens next, I'm going to quote Mary directly, and she says, And he pulls me out, still in the middle of nowhere, and the whole time I was just telling him, please, just set me free. He said, You want to be set free? I'll set you free. And he pulled out a hatchet from his toolbox, and he took my left arm. I looked down at my arm, and there was nothing. I tried fighting him, fighting him off. He took my right arm, and I started kicking and screaming, hoping someone would hear me. Mary goes limp, motionless to the ground. Mary is still alive, but the old man thinks she's dead. He picks up her body and throws her off a 13-foot cliff. Mary's body smacks the hard dirt floor, and the impact breaks four of her ribs. All the emotions are going through Mary right now, but she's smart to stay laying down. She's not sure if he's still at the top of the cliff or if, or if he's left. He, she's just kind of hoping that he's just gone and and all she wanted to do was fall asleep. Mary said that she heard a voice in her head tell her to stay awake. He is going to do this to somebody else, and you can't let that happen. Mary collects herself, and she looks down at, at what's left of her arms. She has the thought to dig her arms in the mud to create a type of mud bandage to save what blood she had left. Out in the far distance, she can hear faint sounds of cars. She climbs her way back to the main road, but it took her the entire day. I want to pause for a sec and go over what's happening. So she's missing two arms. Her body is beaten to hell from being attacked and raped, and she has those four broken ribs. So Mary is just on the brink of death, but she's able to fight for her life and keep on walking. Not to mention a concussion by a sledgehammer. Yep. She blacks in and out. But after walking all day for three long, agonizing miles, she makes it back to the highway. In this dire situation, she is reminded of something her mom once told her. Once when Mary was a little girl, she cut her finger. Her mom told her that if she held, it, held the finger up to her heart, the finger wouldn't bleed as, as much, and that is why the couple see her in the road with her arms up. Kind of mm. help doing two things. She's keeping, keeping the blood it elevated and waving yeah. to get attention. I understand that it would be a very scary sight seeing a very bloody 14-year-old girl in the road missing both arms, but in the distance, Mary could see headlights coming toward her. Finally, help is here. The car slowed down, but when it came near Mary, it sped off. I'm guessing the driver thought, what the heck is that? <laughs> and got, <Probably. laughs> yeah, got scared and drove away. Mary was incredibly hopeful and continued walking, and that is when she saw a second pair of headlights coming down the highway, and it was the couple mentioned earlier while mary is in the hospital she is giving the most detailed description of her attacker to a sketch artist 
The sketch was well drawn, and the police were able to tell the public to look out for this man. Only 10 days later, the police got a call from a woman claiming the sketch was identical to her neighbor. The man was identified as Lawrence Singleton. He was quickly arrested and tried for his crimes. Mary, sitting on the stand in front of the courts and jury, points to Singleton with her now new prosthetic limb and declares him as the man that attacked her. It was done. He was only given a maximum sentence of 14 years because that was the law back then in the 70s. No way. In my opinion, I think he deserved the penalty right then and there. Um, first of all, let's cut his arms off and then kill him. Eye for an eye. I want him to suffer. Absolutely. The judge even said, if I had the power to sentence you for more time, I would do so. But that just, that was a law. Jeez, I bet that judge felt so bad. Yeah, I mean, he definitely wanted more to happen, but his hands were tied. Walking down from the stand, Mary passes right by Singleton, and that is when he whispers an evil threat, stating, If it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job. After only eight years of his sentence, Singleton was released from prison for good behavior. During the eight years, Mary tried to move on in life. She was depressed, struggled with PTSD, and it was ten times harder for her to do anything, to do any of her regular everyday tasks, because obviously she's missing her arms, so it's just a lot harder. When she heard the news that he was released, she was horrified. How could someone who committed those acts be released? Mary is taking every precaution to make sure she stays hidden. She moved all the time. She moved from state to state just to make sure that he wouldn't get a whiff of her. But I'm sure she might have even tried to change her name. On February 19th, 1977, police knocked on the door of a home after receiving a disturbance call. Singleton answers the door, and the police can tell he was very shocked and nervous that the police were there. As if it was timed, the phone rang and Singleton left the front door to answer it. Police followed him in and found the dead body of a woman. That woman's name was Roxanne Hayes. Singleton had lured her to his home where he stabbed her to death. This is what Mary feared and protested. She knew this would happen again if this man was released, if he was released from prison. Authorities thought it would be a good idea to bring Mary to court to testify against Singleton again, but this time it was on behalf of Roxanne. But Mary couldn't do it. That was until she realized she was the only one who could put him behind bars for the rest of his life. She testifies, and Singleton finally gets the death penalty. Finally. Poor Roxanne. Singleton died December 28, 2001, at the age of 74. Mary is now an artist and has a husband and two sons. She is now doing everything she can to put her abuse behind her and live a happy life. What I didn't mention earlier was that the couple were completely lost. You know, I think it was luck that the couple was there on that desolate road that night of the 30th. They happened to be lost, but in reality, they were exactly where they needed to be. Yeah, could you imagine if they weren't there? I wonder if any other cars were going that way. Yep, and that's the story of Mary Vincent. Jeez, what a badass. Mm-hmm. She's cool. Mm-hmm. 
Also, I'm glad he's dead. But also, also, so sad that someone else had to die for him to finally die. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that is the story. Well, thank you for telling it. That was awesome. Absolutely. Okay, do you have anything else for us today? That's it for me. All right, guys, we will scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye. <laughs>